Guys, welcome to Calvary Chapel. It is really great to have you here. Go ahead and turn your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 3. We'll continue our verse-by-verse study through the New Testament. Hebrews chapter 3. All right. Uh, by way of quick announcement, be in prayer. I'm going to be meeting with the uh, board of VHM on Wednesday. And we're going to be, that, that's the school here, talking about uh, allowing us to get some portables potentially for the children's ministry, some other things that we think are really important to be able to minister more effectively to our children. And uh, I think it's so important to be in prayer because if, if we're not able to do that, we're going to start looking for another place to meet. So be praying. God's in control. Amen. Amen. God wants us to stay. We want to stay. If He doesn't want us to stay, we don't want to be here anyway. So we just trust in the sovereignty of God. He's faithful. But you know what? We do not take the ministry to our children lightly. Jesus said, let the little children come unto me, for of such is the kingdom of heaven. And as Pastor Bill said, please do pray for the high schoolers. Uh, When I was a youth pastor for all those years, the greatest, my, my most favorite week, the week I look forward to all year, was going down to high school camp. There'll be 500 teenagers down there. They'll have 20 or so Bible studies. They'll have afterglows, worship times, a lot of great fellowship. And just be praying because it's a time with no cell phones and no Xbox and no MySpace and a bunch of other stuff they probably should never have anyway. And just spending time with the Lord and just pray they come back on fire for God, ready to go back to school and be salt and light to a lost and dying world. Amen? Amen. So keep them in prayer. All right. Well, Hebrews chapter 3. As we've been discussing in the previous chapters, this book was written to the Jewish Christians who had given their life to Jesus Christ, they were indeed born again, but in the midst of that, there was a temptation to go back to Judaism. Most of the Jews did not convert to Christianity. So most of their family and friends were still living out the Jewish faith. The temple was still there for not very many more years, but it was still there. They would hear the trumpets blow when it was time for sacrifice. Their their family members would be taking the sacrifices in, observing all the feasts. And in the midst of all that, of course, just culturally and and being that that was your family and something you had done for so many years, you could see where there would be a temptation to go back to that. Also, there was persecution. So there was, from the inside, the temptation to come back to it. And from the outside, persecution against Christians. And in the midst of all of that, This letter is written to encourage them that you're not Jews anymore. The Bible says that there is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, barbarian nor Scythian. Which means that we are are believers and unbelievers. We're not Jews and Gentiles anymore. We're Christians or we don't know God. We're saints or we're ain'ts, right? One or the other. And so there's just a very clear divining line. And we're not, you know, I'm not a Scottish American male, you know, blah, 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 who happens to be a Christian. I'm a Christian who happens to be all those other things. Who I am in Christ is what's most important. So this letter was written, and you've heard me say it, but I'll say it again because it sticks and it works. It was a letter written by a Jew to the Jews to tell them to quit being Jews. And he was telling them, it's not about the Jewish faith anymore. It's about Jesus Christ now. And he is better. And seven times in the text, we see that Jesus indeed is better. It says that he's better than the prophets. We saw that in chapter 1. He's better than the angels. Now, I want to make something very clear. He's not bad-mouthing the prophets. The prophets are great in in a sense that God used them mightily. And they were used by the Lord, and and through the prophets, they pointed to the Lord. It's not 
bad and better. It's good and better. The prophets were good. Jesus is better. The angels were good. Used by God. Jesus is better. And as we're going to see this morning, Moses is good, but Jesus is better. Now, the point that we need to see in all of this is that there's a temptation to become religious. There's a temptation to think that a relationship with Christ is not enough. We need to add to it. We need to add, we need to go back to the feast. We need to go back to some of the rituals. We need to maybe today add a, you know, we have to have a confirmation or whatever it might be. We got to add something that will then make our Christianity more real. But praise God that upon the cross, Jesus said his final word to Talestai, it is finished. So Jesus Christ is the answer. Jesus Christ is enough. Jesus plus nothing equals salvation. And so as this letter was written, he's reminding them, guys, get your eyes back on Jesus. It's easy to be tempted to look at the things of the world. It's easy to be tempted to be drawn away. But get your eyes back on Jesus Christ. He is indeed the answer. Now, I want to say this quickly, and then we'll get into the text. That each of the Old Testament feasts, I love them. And the reason I do is they all point to Jesus. And we're going to see that as we go through the text this morning. That, you know, when Passover happened, it was a picture of Calvary. When the blood of the Lamb was sprinkled on the doorpost, you know, in the shape of a cross. And the angel of death passed over. Every time they had Passover, they were looking back to their deliverance out of bondage. We don't have Passover anymore. This morning we're going to celebrate communion because we don't look back to Passover. We look back now to the cross of Calvary. Because Jesus Christ paid the price and it's no longer the Lamb's blood. It's the Lamb of God's blood that was sprinkled for us. And so that was a foreshadowing of something to come. We no longer looked at the shadow. We looked to the thing, the fulfillment, the one who fulfilled it all. And as we know, the one who fulfilled it all is Jesus Christ. Now, all those sacrifices, great things. All those feasts, great things. They all point to Jesus. And we'll look at some of that this morning. It also showed us the high cost of sin. Because Jesus you know, is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And though salvation is a free gift, it was not cheap. And somebody, anybody who drug a lamb in one time to be sacrificed knew that it was not cheap, that it was literally a bloody mess to make a sacrifice. And you know what? Sometimes I think we have sanitized down what Jesus did for us too much. We've made it less than it is. It was one of the most horrific things that's ever happened. At the same time, it was the greatest act of love in the history of all mankind. Guys, we're no longer under the old covenant. We're no longer under the feast. We're no longer under the sacrifices. Again, they all point to Jesus. We love the Old Testament. We come on Wednesday night. We teach through it. We see Jesus in every chapter. It's great stuff. But we're no longer under that covenant. We're under the new covenant through Jesus Christ. So, Jesus is better As we've seen so far, he's better than the prophets, he's better than the angels. As we'll see this morning, he's better than Moses. Next week, better than Aaron. And then later on, as we continue on, we will see that he is indeed better than the law. Last week, if you were here, the message was don't drift away. Don't drift away from the word. Don't drift away from the one who died in your place. Don't drift away from the one who suffered for you. Don't drift away from the one who delivered us from death. All that to say, don't drift away from Jesus. And there's a grave mistake that we can make, you guys. We can elevate man too much. And what is happening is, as we get to this text, they're elevating Moses. Moses is a great guy. 
But here's the truth. There's none good. There's only one. Amen? Amen. His name's Jesus. And so the point is that man can make the mistake of starting to elevate man. We can elevate a bad man or we can elevate a, good, a quote, good man from the world's perspective. But in either case, we should never do that. We don't elevate man, we elevate God. We magnify and lift up his name. And so the exhortation here is that Moses is a man being used mightily by God, but we don't lift him up, we lift up the Lord because he is greater. He is better. He is the one. Why would we turn to anything else, anything less, anybody but him? So as the temptation grew to return to the law of Moses, he's pointing them back to the Lord. So if you're a note taker, three points this morning. Jesus is greater than Moses. Number one, he is greater in his person. He's a greater person than Moses. Number two, he's greater in his ministry. And then finally, he is greater in the rest he gives us. So Jesus is greater. And you can just stop there. Because... Anything after that would be true, amen? But in this case, Jesus is greater than Moses. So let's begin in verse 1 of Hebrews chapter 3. Now he's just finished off going through that list of things about don't drift away and all the things that Jesus has done and he is greater than the angels and he's triumphed over sin and death and he's triumphed over the power of death that comes from the devil and you know, he... He's all of those things. He brings mercy to us. He's a faithful God. He's made propitiation for our sin. And all those things being true, verse 1, therefore. So in light of all he had just said in chapter 2, that he is greater than the prophets, that he is greater than the angels, that he's made propitiation for our sin. He's paid the price. Big word just means that he has substituted himself in our place to pay the price for the sin that we couldn't pay for outside of going to hell. And so he took our place. And, he, and in light of all of that, it says, Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling. First of all, he calls them holy brethren. In case you were wondering whether or not these guys were saved, this clears it up. Holy brethren is only something that the Lord would say to those who are born again. If he were here this morning, he would look at you and call you holy brethren. You might say, well, he didn't see me this week. I'm not that holy. (laughs) And you're right. You're not. But, you know, apart from him. But here's the point. We are holy because he's holy. And the Father sees us through the blood of the Son. And he sees us holy and perfect and righteous and forgiven. And so we are holy. We are sanctified. We are set apart unto him. Holy brethren, it says back in Hebrews, for both he who sanctifies and those who are being, back in chapter 2, being sanctified are all of one, for which reason he is not ashamed to call them brethren. He says we're one with him. We're one in Christ. We're one with Christ. We are not Christ. Amen. Amen. We are not God. All right, but we are one with him. We have fellowship with him. And as we do, all those things being true, he's not ashamed to call you brother. Man, I love that. What a great and awesome God we serve. He calls you brother. He calls you sister. He is such a great God. It should bless us that he calls us holy brethren, set apart, not by our good works, but by his good works. So therefore, holy brethren, speaking to them, these Jewish Christians, partakers of the heavenly calling. The word partaker means partner. We are his brothers and sisters, and we are his partner. 
We are co-laborers together with Jesus Christ. It says back in Hebrews 2 verse 10, it tells us Jesus is committed to bringing many sons to glory. And he and, and we as his brethren are partners with him in his heavenly calling. What is the calling that we all have in common? We've all got gifts. We've talked about this for several weeks in a row. We all have gifts. God didn't save you to be a pew potato. He saved you to use you for his glory. Amen. And so he wants you to, you know, get, get out of the, the lukewarm, you know, Christian cruise ship and start serving God with your whole heart. Amen. And, so, and you know what? Sometimes we've got to bust out a little bit and get out of our comfort zone. And you know what? Reach out to somebody who desperately needs Jesus. And be praying for divine appointments. And when those people are walking by, don't be so focused on where you're going. Quit thinking about you and start thinking about the Lord and how to minister to others. And we are co-laborers with Him. We are partakers of the heavenly calling. What is the calling? The Great Commission. Go therefore into all the world and preach the gospel. That's not for some, that's for all. I've had people say to me, well, Pastor Dave, I don't feel called to be missionary. I don't feel called to go on missions trips. I don't feel called to share my faith at work. I don't feel called to share with my neighbor. You know what? You may not feel called, but you are. Amen? Amen? Your feeling is irrelevant. Your feelings lie to you all the time. Amen? It's not what you feel. It's who you are. And the Word of God is very clear. It exhorts us all to not hide our light under a bushel. If there were an 11th commandment, Pastor Dave's opinion, okay, don't take this too serious. But if there were one, it might, it might be, thou shalt go on a short-term missions trip. You know, sometimes just getting away from work, away from the cell phone, away from the TV, away from all the distractions of life, and going 24-7, do nothing but minister to people for the kingdom of God and for His glory. And you know what? You can't come back the same. The only way you won't come back different is if you go and you don't do what you're called to do while you're there. I've drugged people on missions trips before. No fun. Not good. If we're going to go, let's go as servants. Amen? And we are partakers of this heavenly calling. We are His brethren. Guys, we do not serve a faraway, distant God who doesn't remember our name. One of His names is Abba Father. He was always near. We can crawl into His lap. We can have intimate fellowship with Him. We are His holy brethren. We are partakers of the heavenly calling. Note again, he's clearly speaking to the church, to the born-again, set-apart, spirit-filled, co-laborers in the calling to reach the lost. What exhortation does he have when he says, Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling. Okay, in light of everything I've said, let me remind you who you are. Let me remind you of all I've just said about Jesus. Now what is the exhortation to follow? Therefore, in light of what I've said, let me tell you what you need to do. And what does he say? Here's what he says. Consider the apostle and high priest of our confession, Christ Jesus. You know what he says? Consider Jesus. Consider Jesus. Now, you might say, well, duh. But you know what? The word consider there is a word that is used for somebody who takes time to gaze up at the stars and examine them and to look at the stars and to study them to to get a better understanding of what is above them. So this is not just taking a a glancing thought about our Savior. He's saying, consider Him. Stop what you're doing, turn everything off, and sit at His feet and spend some time in His presence. 
in light of the fact that we are his heavenly brethren, in light of the fact that we are partakers with him in the heavenly calling, and that he is the apostle and the high priest. You might have said, well, I didn't know Jesus was an apostle. You know, the word apostle means one sent out with a commission or with marching orders. And if anybody was ever sent anywhere with marching orders, it was Jesus. Amen? He came from heaven to earth and came with one specific goal, to die in our place so we might have eternal life, to live a holy, sinless, perfect life, and to suffer and die in our place. So he is both apostle and high priest. Now what I love about this, an apostle is one sent out by God to minister for God, and and a high priest is one who comes to God to minister on behalf of people. This is a twofold ministry of our Savior. He was sent by God to minister to us, and he goes to the Father to minister for us. This is the God that we serve. He is the apostle, one sent out, ministering to us. He is the high priest, the one who intercedes on our behalf, and that's what he's doing right now. You know, next time you're tempted, be reminded that Jesus is praying for you. Does that blow you away or what? Almighty God created the universe, seated at the right hand of the Father, praying for you. What a great and awesome God that we serve. And the exhortation is, guys, you're thinking about going back to the law of Moses? Forget about that. Consider Jesus. You're thinking about going back to the feast and the rules and the rituals. Forget about that. Consider Jesus. Maybe some of you here, you grew up in some denomination or religion, and you think you've got to go back to some religion and fulfill some rituals to be right with God. Forget about that. Consider Jesus. Make him the focal point. Make him the passion of your life. I was lifting weights this week. I know you you can't tell, but I was. (laughs) And I love working out because I feel like it's a mission field. And I was talking to a young man. And the first words out of his mouth, I, had a, I like to wear Christian t-shirts when I work out. It's a conversation starter. And I had a Christian t-shirt on, and he said to me, so you're a Christian? And I said, yes, I am. He said, well, I'm a Catholic. And I said, okay. I said, let me ask you a question. Do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of the living God? Do you believe that he died on the cross, that he rose from the dead, and he's coming back? Is he the only way to go to heaven? He said, I do, I believe. I said, you know what? It doesn't matter if I'm of Calvary Chapel or the Catholic Church or whatever church. It's what have we done with Jesus Christ that matters. When we stand before Almighty God on Judgment Day, He's not going to ask for your baptismal certificate or your membership card or your tithe envelope. He's not going to ask for any of that, okay? He's going to want to know what you've done with His Son. And let's stop and forget about all the stuff that can so easily distract us and get our eyes back on Jesus. Consider the apostle, the one sent by the Father. Consider the great high priest that intercedes on our behalf. He's the one that we need to be focused on and nobody else. Don't go back to the law. Don't go back to the old ways. Don't go back to the old things. Press on. Press onward and upward in the high calling of Christ Jesus. Now it says there, the apostle and high priest of our confession The word confession of our faith in Christ Jesus as Savior. He is, again, both in word and in action, the one that we follow. He is our confession, the high priest of our confession. Again, who we worship, who we pursue, who we go after. Consider the one who was sent by the Father to represent the Father to us. Why would we want to look at somebody else when he sent the very image of himself. Let's look to Jesus. 
and to Him alone, who is the author and finisher of our faith. Here's another reason why I don't get upset when I hear what men have to say. Because who really cares ultimately? People get all bombed out. Well, did you hear what happened? Do you hear what so-and-so said? Do you hear what it? Yeah. Okay, and? Did Jesus say anything different? Did the Word of God change? Did somebody come down and blot out a chapter out of your Bible? That's not what happened, amen? So since that didn't happen, why do we get upset? And, you know, I hesitate to say it, but I will, and I, that's okay. This week, the, the, Catholic pre, uh, the Pope came out and said that the Catholic Church is the only true church. He said that this week. And I got emails, people saying, well, what do you think? Are you upset? Why, why would I be upset? What does that change about Jesus? Amen. Absolutely nothing. So who, you know, ultimately, that's sad, but who cares? Amen? I mean, ultimately, for me, what has it got to do with nothing? And in a way, it's a good thing, because let's just make it, let's just all stand up and say what we really believe. Amen. And you know what, guys? We're followers of Jesus Christ. He's the only path to salvation. And I'm not of Calvary Chapel. I'm of Jesus Christ. How about you? Amen? Amen. And that's all that matters, and so we need to pray for our Catholic friends, we need to reach out to them in love, but we need not try to convert them to Calvary Chapel, we just need to point them to Jesus. And the same is true for everyone we know that may be involved in a church that's adding to the gospel of Jesus Christ. He is the answer, and again, well, don't you respect the Pope? Here's my answer, no. Oh, Pastor Dave, what's up with that? The Bible tells us not to be respecters of men. Amen? I love him. I want to see him saved. I'll pray for him. But I don't care what, you know, what he says is irrelevant. Amen. I want to hear what the Lord has to say. Amen. Let's get into the word of God and hear his heart. Amen. And it says here, calling, consider the apostle and the high priest of our confession, Christ Jesus, who was faithful to him, who appointed him, as Moses also was faithful in all of his house. So who was faithful to him? Jesus was faithful to the Father who appointed him for a specific calling and task. And we know that Jesus, of course, was and is faithful. But notice it does say that Moses is faithful. Moses also was faithful in all of his house. So Jesus, of course, is greater than any man who's ever lived. But Moses was still a man used mightily by God. Because Jesus is great doesn't mean others aren't used by God. Of course they are, and Moses certainly was. Moses, to the Jewish people, outside of probably Abraham, was the guy held in the highest amount of reverence. And so certainly, he's not saying what Moses did was wrong. Moses was, you know, really kind of a picture, a smaller picture of the Lord in a lot of ways. But you know what? Jesus is greater. Moses was the man God used, but you know what? Jesus is the one God points us all to as the source of salvation. You know, there was nothing Moses ever did that could save you. Nothing. Did he go up on the mountain and talk to Almighty God? Yes, he did. Did he come down glowing in the dark? He did. He had to veil his face. Right? And certainly, Moses, man, God God used him. But you know what's interesting? I love that whenever you see something that God does in a man, he always does something greater in his son. Because Moses came down from the mountain with a glow that lasted a little while and went away. But Jesus was up on the Mount of Transfiguration, and that was a whole different program. Amen? He revealed His glory. You know, Moses was shining, you know, getting a taste of God's glory, and Jesus is God. And He revealed His glory on the Mount of Transfiguration. And while Moses had a bit of a glow, Jesus is the source of it. Amen? And while you and I may have a glow about us, and praise God, and we should be shining in the dark, dark place, right? 
be salt and light. At the same time, the source is not us, it's him. And Moses was a man used by God. He was a faithful man. But notice that Jesus, the son of the living God, was obedient to the Father. He did all that the Father commanded of him. What did Moses do being obedient? He delivered the law. He was faithful and unwavering even when the people weren't. If you were here in the Old Testament, Moses was pastoring the worst church ever. Three million whiners. It's true. Go look at Exodus sometime. Three million whiners. Oh, man. I want to go back to Egypt. They wanted to go back to beatings. They wanted to go back to slavery. Right? This is a selective memory that all human beings have. We always look back at our past as something wonderful. You know, we remember the party, we forget the puking in the gutter the next morning, right? We always remember this selective memory. And this is, oh, we want to go back to Egypt. And then they were murmuring, why did you bring us out in the wilderness to die? Oh, right? And every time God would come through and they would just keep murmuring. And yet Moses, in the midst of all that, didn't say, Lord, just kill him. Although he did say that once, but then he changed his mind. But you know what? Most of the time, he was unwavering. He was unwavering. He was faithful. He continued to serve God. What a great example for us. But you know what? Jesus did more than walk unwavering. But he took on the sin of the six billion whiners. Amen? Upon himself and suffered and died in our place so we might have eternal life. Moses, used mightily by God. Jesus is better. Jesus is much, much better. And again, we can learn things by looking at the life of Moses, but our example, our ultimate example, is not Moses, it's Jesus Christ. Salvation is not by obedience to the law, but through faith in Christ. Moses was the one that God used to give us the law. The law reveals our sin and our need for a Savior, but it cannot save us. The law only shows you your need for a Savior. And praise God, we need that. Without the law, we wouldn't realize we're sinners. You know, no man will see his need for a Savior until he realizes that he's a sinner. First thing you need to do when you're talking to somebody who's str- is define for them that they are indeed, just like us, a sinner. Because once they realize that, maybe then they'll start to understand they need a Savior. But until then, if they think they're good, you don't need a Savior if you're good. Amen. But there's none righteous, no, not one. So if you heard it this morning and you thought you were good, don't leave here with that false impression of yourself. You're a sinner in desperate need of a Savior, just like all of us. Amen? Amen. Jesus alone is good. So, Jesus is greater than Moses. He's greater in his person. He's the apostle. He's the high priest. He's the Messiah. He's the only one that could pay the price. Number two, he's greater in his ministry. Both of the things he accomplished and the position that he holds. Look at verse three. For this one has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses. Inasmuch as he who built the house has more honor than the house. You know, Moses was faithful in the house. Moses was faithful with what God had called him to do in the house. Moses did a great job. You know, it's interesting that Moses, God called him to to build the tabernacle and gave him the instructions on how to do it. And he built the tabernacle. Now, the tabernacle, as we know from the Old Testament, tells us that it is a picture of heaven. We can look at the tabernacle and we can see things that are in the heavenlies, it says. And as you go through each of the, you know, the pieces of furniture, they all point to Jesus Christ and there's angels moving in on the inside and even the colors of the garment. You know, we don't have time to go into it. But all of it 
is a picture of the heavenlies. And certainly, Moses made a model of the heavenlies on earth, an awesome place where people could come and make sacrifice before Almighty God. That's an awesome thing. You know what? He made the model of the heavenlies. Jesus made the heavenlies. Amen? He made heaven. And what this made me think of when I was a kid, I know I'm going to date myself here. When I was a kid, I used to build models. Everybody under, everybody under 30 is going, well, what's that, right? <laughs> you go down for like 75 cents and you get this thing that's got, it's plastic with all these little pieces and you get glue and you, you sit down and it tests your patience and you have to put this thing together and you put the decals on it and you can paint them and right. And I used to love to make planes. And my brother and I would hang them from the ceiling, which drove my mom nuts. But we would, we would take wire and we would hang them from the ceiling like they were flying, right? We had them all over our room. Until we'd get bored, then we'd take them outside and blow them up or something, right? <laughs> now, as awesome as those little planes were, they were nothing compared to the real thing. Right. Amen? Amen? And I like taking those planes to school, but I mean, imagine if I'd showed up in the third grade with the, you know, an F-16 or something, right? You know, that would have been really cool. School would be out forever, right? You know, I mean, I'd be in charge. But the point is that the model, the model is nothing compared to the real thing. And so we can be the ones who make the models, but it's not the model maker, it's the one who makes the real thing. And so Moses was used by God to make the model that was an absolute blessing to all of mankind, and he was a tool in the hand of his master, but he's not the one that should be magnified because of it. The one who makes the heavenlies and the one who made Moses should be the one who's glorified. Amen? Amen? And again, I know I'm driving this point home, but we're so easily drawn away to listen to the words of men instead of the Word of God. Well, so-and-so told me, what does the Bible say? Well, so-and-so, great. What does the Bible say? I'm not saying God can't speak through men and women. He does. But when He speaks through them, it will always be consistent with the Word of God. It will always find agreement in the Word of God. Jesus had far more glory from the Father than Moses did. Again, Moses came down from the mountain Jesus, when he started his public ministry, God just opened up the sky and let everybody know it. Remember at his baptism? He opened up the sky and said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And then the Holy Spirit descended upon him like a dove. God's making it real clear, this is my Son. He didn't do that with Moses. He did that with Jesus, because Jesus is greater. He who built the house has more honor than the house itself. Verse 4. For every house is built by someone, but he who built all things is God. So again, Moses was a faithful member in the household of God, but Jesus is the creator of the house and is worthy of greater glory. Moses, faithful man, Jesus, almighty God. Moses, good in one sense, you know, call no man good, but you know what I'm saying. He's good, Jesus better, right? And it's not even like close, amen? It's not like it's a, it's a dog race at all. You know, it's, it's not a foot race. It's not close. He's way better. And that's why it's so important that you and I not get distracted and take our eyes off of the true and living God. So, we see that Moses was used by God to build, again, that model of the tabernacle. But Jesus is the one who the tabernacle pointed to, and he's the creator of the heavenly. So not only is he greater in person. But also we see here, he's greater in position. Look at verse 5 and 6. And Moses indeed was faithful in all his house as a servant 
for a testimony of those things which would be spoken afterwards. So Moses was faithful as a servant for a testimony of those things which would be spoken after. Here's what it's saying. Moses was a foreshadowing of things to come. Everything he did was pointing to someone else who was coming. Jesus Christ. All that Moses did was pointing to the Lord. The tabernacle, pointing to the Lord. The law itself, Jesus, the fulfillment of it. Everything he did was pointing to the one who would come afterward. It says Moses was faithful and he was a servant. Now a servant is a great thing to be. The Bible says if you want to be great in God's kingdom, learn to be what? Servant of all. all. And in our world, people judge success by how many people serve you. God judges it by how many people you serve. Amen? Those are totally the opposite from the world. Now, what's interesting is, Moses is called a servant, and that's a great thing. But guys, notice what it says of our Savior. Is there something greater than a servant? Look at verse 6. But Jesus, as a son over his own house, whose house we are, if we hold fast the confidence and rejoicing of the hope, firm to the end. So, Moses is servant, Jesus is son. He's the son. He's the son of God. So servant is a blessing. It's a good thing. God's using him mightily. Don't we all want to be servants for the Lord? Amen? But greater than the servant is the son. Now in those days, we don't, maybe you do, and if you do, God bless you, but I I doubt anybody here has living servants. Okay? But in those days, they did. They had living servants. So it's a very common thing. And if you showed up at the house and you started paying homage to the servant that was due to the son, nobody would be happy with you. Because you would be dishonoring the son and the servant would be uncomfortable. Don't honor me, honor him. And the same is true for us. We should take no honor as the servants and point everyone to the son. Amen? Amen. And the same is happening here in this house. You say, don't honor me, honor him. And what he's saying is, look, he's a servant. That's a good thing. And a servant is a a valuable thing and a worthy thing and a godly thing. But you know what? Greater than the servant is the son. Jesus is greater than Moses because Moses is the servant and Jesus is the son. You know what's interesting? The Jews were being tempted to give equal or greater praise to the servant, Moses, than to the son, Jesus. They were being tempted to give equal praise footing or even greater emphasis to Moses than to Jesus. And guys, that's exactly what all the cults do. They make Jesus less and man more. When they start to elevate a man and talk about a man and put a man's name on everything, some of you have probably seen that there's a man in Florida who says he's Jesus Christ come back to earth. And he literally has tens of thousands of followers. How scary is that? How heartbreaking is that? And you know what he's got his people doing now? He's telling them Antichrist isn't a bad thing. It means the second coming of Christ. So he's actually Jesus Christ and the Antichrist. And now all of his people are having 666 tattoos tattooed on their arm. And people are doing this in droves. And you know what? I saw this on the news and I just stopped and started praying for these people. God, open their eyes, Lord. But anytime you see a man being elevated and God being made less, that's a cult. Man must be decreased that he might increase. Amen? Amen. And so we see here that the Jews are being tempted to elevate Moses. Yet again, he's saying, no, 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 no. Consider Jesus. Moses, used by God. 
Jesus is God. And he's the one who we look to, the author and finisher of our faith. Jesus is the only one we worship. He's the only one we should serve. He's the only one we should follow. And then look what it says about him. Whose house we are. Moses, like I said, built a physical tabernacle tabernacle in the wilderness. Jesus made us the temple of the Holy Spirit. So he made a physical tabernacle and Jesus made a spiritual one inside of all of us. Which is greater? The tabernacle was a blessing. But what's greater than the tabernacle in the wilderness that's not even there anymore is we being the temple of the Holy Spirit that he's come to live inside of us as a down payment on heaven. Guys, it doesn't get any better than that. Not a building we must travel to. Aren't you glad we don't have to go to Mecca or someplace or crawl on, on our knees in glass to prove that we love God. Go to some building that is the place, the holy place. Guys, wherever you are is the holy place because the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. The holy place is in your car driving down the freeway. Isn't that good? And praise God for that truth. Then it says, whose house we are, but what do we have to do to be his house? If we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of hope firm to the end. Now, here's what's interesting. People read this and they get concerned. Uh, if we hold fast, does that mean if I don't hold fast, I'm not saved? What if I hold fast one day and I don't hold fast the next day? Did I, am I saved on Tuesday and lost on Wednesday? And these are legitimate questions. I don't even want to laugh about it because there are people that have this question and are extremely concerned that they could lose their salvation. Here's what you need to understand the context of the book of Hebrews. The context of the entire letter is this. Jesus Christ is sufficient. He is the answer. You don't need to go back to the law. You don't need to add anything else. You don't need to go back to the rituals, back to the feast. Jesus Christ is enough. And even in this context, he's telling them Jesus is better. And so, if we are saved, we will persevere. But our perseverance doesn't save us. Our salvation produces perseverance. Do you understand the difference? It's not us doing good works so we will be saved. But if we are saved and we've been born again, we will persevere. Now, some people say, well, Pastor Dave, what about the person who's backslidden? If they're backslidden and they're saved, they'll come back. What about the apostate? They won't come back. And they were never saved to begin with. I do not believe you can lose your salvation. But I'd like, I like to say this. You heard me say it before. Rory said, if you're not abiding, you're not going, right? And the truth is, we need to be abiding in Christ. And you know what? I have no concern whatsoever that I'm going to lose my salvation. At the same time, I stay desperate for Him every single day. And both of those things can be equally true. Amen? We need to stay desperate. But realize, I'm not going to lose my salvation. We're not on a pendulum swing where I'm saved one minute and not saved the next based on how I acted that day. Because then, it would not be grace. Then, it would not be finished at the cross of Calvary. Then, our salvation would be based on us, not on Him. He did it. He paid it. So, we hold fast to the confidence. We hold fast to the finished work. His guarantee of eternal salvation. The word confidence there means freedom. Or the ability to speak openly and boldly. You know what, guys? We can boldly come before the throne of Almighty God because of the grace of our Savior. Because of the shed blood of Jesus Christ upon Calvary. We can come boldly before the the throne. Not because of who we are, but who we are in Him. Amen? 
And so we can come with boldness. And so as Christians, we can be bold in our faith and bold in the fact that we've been forgiven. Again, never arrogant, never self-righteous, but we can absolutely stand up and say, I'm going to heaven. Amen? Amen. We all should be able to say that. I ask people that question often. Are you going to heaven? They say, I hope so. Guys, Christianity is not a hope so, it's a no so. Amen? And again, that's not being arrogant or self-righteous. You know what it is? It's trusting that Jesus Christ means what he says. Amen? What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. He promised me. He's not a liar. That means I'm going. And so are you if you've given your life to him. Amen? And we can trust in that. And we need not fall away from that. If we've truly trusted in Christ, our faith is in him. He cannot fail. We will persevere. We need not walk around overwhelmed and concerned. That's what the enemy does. The Bible says, there is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Amen? The Bible also says, he who the Son sets free is free indeed. So we are free in Christ. We're no longer condemned. We're filled with the Holy Spirit. We've been adopted into his family. We're going to heaven. He convicts us when we sin, and that's a good thing, because that means we're his. Amen? All right, last point. Jesus is greater than Moses, greater in his person, greater in his ministry, and greater in the rest he gives us. Now, you'll notice in Hebrews, not every chapter, but almost every chapter, there's an Old Testament quote. Because he's writing to the Jews, who are people of the Old Testament. Here's what it says. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, again, notice how he attributes the Holy Spirit being the writer of the Old Testament. Today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in rebellion in the day of trial in the wilderness, where your fathers tested me and tried me and saw my works 40 years. Therefore, I was angry with that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart and they have not known my ways. So I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Now he quotes Psalm 95, but he's referring to the story found in Numbers 13. Really quickly, here's what happened. They come to Kadesh Barnea. They're on the doorsteps of the land of promise. God has promised them the land. They're to cross over the Jordan. You've heard me say this before. Passover, a picture of Calvary. The Red Sea, a picture of water baptism. Okay? Wandering through the wilderness, that, that sanctification process. Then coming to the Jordan, a picture of the, being baptized in the Holy Spirit and entering into the land of promise. Okay? The Spirit-filled life. Now, they're just outside of it. They've come through Passover, they've come through the Red Sea, they're at that place, and they get there, and they send 12 spies into the land. And the spies come back, and they all agree, everything that God said about the land is true. It's a land flowing with milk and honey. They came back, they had two guys with a big stick carrying grapes. I don't know how big they were, maybe the size of bowling balls, I don't know, but they were huge. Two guys with a big stick to carry a lump of grapes, I mean, that was some big grapes, okay? It's a land flowing with milk and honey. They spent all that time there. When they came back, they all said everything that God said about the place is true. But ten of them then added this. Oh, but there's giants in the land. And if we go in there, they'll squash us like grasshoppers. And there were two. Joshua and Caleb. Who said, you know what? God's given us the land. Let's go get it. But they listened to the ten. And this whole portion here, he's talking about they hardened their hearts in rebellion and in unbelief, and they did not pursue God's highest. They were satisfied to stay outside of God's highest, outside of of what God had, which was best for them, 
and they ended up wandering in the wilderness for 40 years, and all 600,000 men died in the wilderness. Only two of them that were there that day entered in, and the two were the two that said they should go, Joshua and Caleb. Everybody else died in the wilderness from the age 20 and above. God said, I'm going to remove the unbelief from my people. I'm going to let them all die having lived a fruitless life. Guys, may we not be satisfied with less than God's highest. May we not be satisfied wandering in the wilderness, having gone through Passover, having crossed over the Red Sea and say, well, that's good enough for me. You know what, Lord, I want all that you have for me. Lord, I want to press into your kingdom. I want to know you better. Lord, I want to go into the land of promise. Lord, I want you to use my life for its fullest for your glory. And that should be our heart. But sadly, they listened to the unbelief of the people, the unbelief of the faithless. You know, both faith and faithlessness are contagious. That's why the Bible says bad company corrupts good morals. And when you hang out with believers, it's amazing how your faith is encouraged. So the wilderness, they ended up remaining there because they did not believe, because of their unbelief. You know, unbelief is not just a fear. It's a, it's a decision, a disobedient decision not to trust God. It's not just something that's only intellectual, but it's a, it's a choice that is made. I'm just not going to trust God. I choose not to trust you. The word of God was clear and they chose not to trust him. Now we read that story and we think, what a bunch of knuckleheads. But am I the only one in the room where God's told you to do something and you didn't do it? Am I the only one in the room where God's word's very clear about stuff and we just do the exact opposite anyway? Amen? And that's praise God for his grace. Because he forgives us while we were yet sinners. That doesn't mean we should take sin for granted. Now, here's the interesting part as we move on. We're almost done. Look at verse 12. Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. So he uses the physical example of what happened in the wilderness. And now he's telling the Jewish Christians, these born-again Christians who had come from the Jewish faith, saying, you know what? They didn't step out and they went back. And you know what? They missed out. And don't you dare do the same thing. And you know what? The stakes are higher now. Because when they did not go into the land of promise, they missed out on a physical blessing. But if we turn away from Jesus, we're turning away from a spiritual eternity. Amen? Amen. When you walked away from Moses, you missed out on any land of promise. You walk away from Jesus, you're rejecting eternity. You're, t- you're taking your sin upon yourself. This is heavy duty. The stakes are very high. And he makes it very clear to them. He says, beware. Beware. Take note. Don't make this mistake. Verse 13, but exhort one another. You know what, guys? We need to exhort one another. It says exhort one another daily. This is a great exhortation for us as a church. We need to love each other enough to call each other, to encourage each other, to put our arms around each other. This is why we need to be in fellowship. I just read an article this week that 75% of all, quote, born-again Christians think you can live a solid Christian walk without going to church. That's not true. Because... They can vote all they want. The Word of God says, forsake not the gathering yourselves together and all the more as the day approaches. Amen? That's where the Word of God always trumps out feeling. Amen? Not what we feel, not what we think. It's what the Word of God says. And so we see here, he's telling them to beware that it's an evil heart. When we don't believe, we've turned ourselves over to evil. And we've departed from the living God. And so, with that being said, we need to exhort one another daily, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. You know what? Sin lies, doesn't it? 
Sin promises you good and only brings you harm. Sin tells you how much fun it's going to be when you do it. And then as soon as it's over, it mocks you. Amen? Is that true or not? You're headed toward it. Oh, this is going to be great. As soon as it's over, Holy Spirit head slap, right? Conviction. You think I lost my hair because I, it's genetic. It's just the Holy Spirit. But here's the point. The point is that sin lies because Satan is a liar and he wants to destroy you. And you know what? He wants to draw you away and he wants to tell you how great it's going to be when you sin. And in the end, it's only going to separate you from the Lord. And so we need not take sin lightly. And beware, lest you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. Exhort one another. Exhort one another to keep Jesus Christ the focus. For we have become partakers of Christ. If we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end, while it is said, today, if you will hear His voice, do not harden your hearts in the rebellion. Guys, if we hold on to Christ, if we leave Christ, we're in rebellion. Steadfast endurance is a reflection of one who has truly taken a hold of the Lord. Again, not the source of our salvation, but is indeed the proof of it. If you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. You know what? Every person, I'm convinced of this, every person on this planet has heard his voice many times. He calls them unto salvation. His desire is none none should perish, no, not one. And sadly, most put up a stop sign. I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it. Don't tell me about that. I don't care. We had the memorial service for Dale Snyder a few weeks ago. What a contrast is one person would get up and talk about the love of God, and the next person would get up and curse and swear. And the next person would get up and talk about the love of God, and the next person would get up and curse and swear. And this went on for an hour. And it was amazing, the contrast. And the people were, some of them were saying, what's that got to do with anything? And some of them even challenged me afterward. Why do you have to talk about Jesus so much? What's that got to do with Dale? Well, if you knew Dale, it had everything to do with Dale. Amen? And the point is, it's all about him. And we need not harden our hearts when he reaches out to us. Last verses. For who having heard rebelled? So who's, who's heard and rebelled, he's saying? Who having heard has rebelled? Here's what he says. Indeed, was it not all who came out of Egypt led by Moses? We're going back to that story in Numbers 13. Now, with whom was he angry 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose corpses fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear they would not enter his rest, but those who did not obey? So we see they could not enter in because of unbelief. He goes back to the story and says, who knew and disobeyed anyway? Well, those who were in the wilderness. He had told them, I've given you the land. They knew it belonged to them. He had promised them. They got right outside the doorstep of it. All they had to do was cross over the Jordan to go in it. And they listened to the bad report of 10 people. They were stricken with the deceitfulness of sin and unbelief. And they walked away from God's highest, choosing not to obey him. He's saying, who's hurt? Here's the example. Guys, may we not. Settle for anything less than God's highest. And guys, it's not us having more fortitude that's going to make it happen. It's us dying to ourselves. It's us being desperate for Him. It's us coming humbly and broken before Him every single day and saying, Lord, help me to walk with You. The result of unbelief, the corpses fell in the wilderness. As I said before, 600,000 men died in the wilderness. And they died because they disobeyed. You know, you can have a saved soul and a wasted life. My prayer would be we would not have saved souls and wasted lives, but lives account for eternity. You know, it's interesting. Men will say, 
I cannot believe, but it's more honest to say, I will not believe. It says there, last verse, so we see they could not enter in because of unbelief. It's not that they can't believe, it's that they won't believe. Could they believe? Yes. They choose not to believe. Amen? And so it's important that we realize that they can believe, so we need to reach out to them in love and share with them the hope that lies within us. And no, we can't convince them. It's the Holy Spirit who's going to touch them. We're called to simply be faithful in sharing, knowing that God is the one who brings the increase. Amen? But our job is to be obedient to share and leave it in His hands to bring conviction and conversion in the life of an unbeliever. So, the majority of the Jews, again, did not enter into that land of promise. Why? Because they rejected the Messiah. And so, too, we live in a time today where we can get caught up listening to the majority. You plus God is a majority. Amen? Amen. You know what? God without you is a majority. Right? right? God majority. By Himself, right? And we get on His side, we're on the majority side. And so quit, we need to stop worrying about what people think or what people vote for or what people desire and look instead and say, what does the Word of God say? Rest not in siding with the majority, but trusting in the Lord. So Jesus is greater than Moses. He's greater in His person. He's greater in His ministry. And He's greater in the rest He gives us. Because with Moses, they did not enter in to the rest that we can have in Jesus Christ. What Moses showed them was their sin and their need for a Savior. What we find in the Lord is we enter into the rest that will last for eternity. We get it now, and then we get it forever. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you and we praise you for your love and your grace. We thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, that you love us, not because of who we are, because of who you are. We thank you, Lord, that we serve a God who's greater than everything. Nobody compares to you. There was nobody before you or beside you. You've always been. You always will be. You're beyond our imagination. You're more holy than we can grasp. You're more powerful than we can grab a hold of. And we thank you for that, Lord. And in the midst of all of that, you love us. You created us to have a relationship with you. Lord, I pray as we go to this time of communion that we would not take it lightly. Lord, that we would look back to the cross of Calvary and consider that most incredible and gracious work that you did upon the cross for us. Lord, that as we take the the bread, your body that was broken for us, we would consider... Again, the suffering that you endured, that that we might be healed from our sin. Lord, as we take the cup, we remember the, the blood that was shed for us. I pray, Lord, again, that we would not take it lightly or for granted. We would realize that one drop of your blood could redeem the sins of all of mankind. And we thank you for your blood. We thank you that you shed it for us. We thank you that your body was broken on our behalf. We don't deserve it. Lord, I pray we'd not only look back to the cross, we look within our own hearts. We take some time to examine our hearts before you. Lord, just show us if there's anything in us that we're hiding. Lord, you know what's there. Lord, if there's anything we need to confess or make right with you or with somebody else who's here this morning, may we do that. Father, I pray we not only would look back to the Calvary and look within, but Lord, we look forward. As you said at the Last Supper, that the next time you did it, you would do it with us in heaven. And Lord, we long for the day we'll be around your throne and we will have this supper with you there. So Lord, help us to look back, to look within, to look ahead and to take this time to truly just sit at your feet. You're worthy to be worshiped, to be praised. And we thank you for the cross. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said,